Well, tonight will be the 59th sermon in this expositional series on our study of the book of the Revelation. You have set under the preaching of the book of the Revelation the equivalent of seven eight-hour days. Shocking, right? Seven eight-hour days. That is a lot. It will be a comprehensive exam. It, you think I'm kidding. Open book. No, I'm just, I, I am really, I'm kidding with you. But one thing, I'm mindful of my limitations. I'm mindful of um, greater, far greater men than I am or ever will hope to be in this life. I uh, have uh, attempted to understand the book of the Revelation and have presented it to people and have preached it and uh, from very different perspectives. And I have labored to show myself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And God knows um, I've learned a lot. I trust you have as well. Um, I would someday like to go back and re-preach what I've preached because, with the understanding that I have now. Um, I doubt that will happen. Um, but tonight we return to chapter 21. And we want to take up verses 9 through 14. But before we look at those verses, I want to do two things. I want to give a very brief review of how the church is described by reminding us of the symbolic image of the church being the bride of Christ. And that is first mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. Take a look with me. Revelation 19 verses 7 through 9. That tells us, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory... For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness, is the righteous acts of the saints. There the emphasis is on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will feast in the house of Zion, folks. That's what awaits the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want to show you, just in review, the relationship between the verses we're going to look at tonight, verses 9 through 14, and the verses that precede it that we've already addressed, verses 21 through chapter 21, 1 through 8. What we have here is verses 1 through 8 is a summary of the New Jerusalem. In verses 9, chapter 21, verse 9, all the way through chapter 22, 
through verse 5 is an expansion of that. So there's repetition here. We have been introduced to the New Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, but early on in my Christian life and for a lot of years, if somebody would have told me that when the Bible tells us about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, that he was waiting for, looking for a city whose maker and builder is God, I did not have the illuminating, my mind had not been illuminated by the Spirit to understand that that which he was waiting for, that which he was looking for, was the church, the redeemed church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the city that Abraham was looking for. Now notice with me, chapter 1, or chapter 21, verse 1, John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city, New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It couldn't be any clearer there in those couple of verses. Now, uh, I don't want to get off on hermeneutics here, but I think it's important as we re-engage in our study here that we are reminded of the principle of hermeneutics that we're following and honoring. And that is, we're looking at apocalyptic literature, and therefore, apocalyptic literature is to be understood primarily symbolically. John received, by inspiration, the content of the book of the Revelation, and he received it in vision. And I'm so thankful for those places where John received a vision, and then after he describes the vision, he says, this is that. So we're not, we're not left to wonder, what in the world is he talking about? What is he describing? And we were alerted to the need for this hermeneutical principle of understanding this book symbolically from the very, very beginning. Let me take you back real quickly to Revelation chapter 1. John is given a vision of the exalted Christ in the very first chapter, verse 9, and Christ is being described to him in a vision. And John says, verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. 
and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And we see this language, seven lampstands, seven stars in his hand, and we, you know, what is that? We, 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 we don't know until John says, this is that, okay? Now notice the end of chapter 1. He says, the mystery, ah, I'm glad he acknowledged it was a mystery to you and I, until he says this by inspiration, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So John removes any question in our minds what he's talking about. However, a good number of the visions that he received aren't accompanied with a this is that. And we're left to try and apply hermeneutical principles, our understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that helps us a lot, particularly in this study of the book of the Revelation. But here in Revelation chapter 21, John is telling us this is that, the new Jerusalem. The holy city is the bride of Christ, adorned for her husband, the church. And again, I don't know that we would have come up with that on our own. But that is the truth according to the scriptures. So both the symbolic terms, the holy city, New Jerusalem, and the bride adorned for her husband represent the church and describe the relationship of believers with their, their bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. This concept of the church being both the New Jerusalem and the Bride of Christ introduced in Revelation 21 verse 2 is now greatly expanded in chapter 21 verse 9. Notice let me read these verses. These are the ones we're going to expound this evening. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 9. Take note of the repetition. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three, great, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So again, 
what, we're, what, we're, what we have here is an expansion of what John has already introduced to us in the opening verses of chapter 21. And as John describes the bride, the Lamb's wife, pictured here as the holy city of Jerusalem, we must remind ourselves that we are dealing, again, exclusively with symbolic visual imagery. And if we don't honor that principle, we are going to have great difficulty in understanding the scriptures as God has given them to us. The angel tells John in verse 9 that he's going to show him the bride, the lamb's wife. And in order to do so, he shows him the city of the new Jerusalem in verse 10. I showed you that already, but again, we, we've got to, we, we, we must not get away from this or we're going to be in trouble. So tonight, my title for the sermon is The Holy City, The New Jerusalem. And we will see in Revelation 21, 9 through 14, three aspects of the city. We will see the glory of the city. In verses 10 through 11, we will see the wall and the gates of the city in verse 12 and 13. And we will see number three, the foundation of the city in verse 14. Notice with me three points about this city. And I thought about this illustration. We have a hard time... Uh, uh, thinking about the Church of the Redeemed being a city. But I remember, oh my, now it's been almost 20 years ago that Carter and I went over to NC State for orientation as Gabe was uh, beginning uh, his college education over there. And this was 20 years ago. And they had over 30,000 students. And it was like a small city. I mean, literally. And in fact, someone said if, if the, the campus, the, the, the student body was a city, and you counted it as a city, it would be the fifth largest city in the state of North Carolina. So I think that kind of helps me a little bit when I'm thinking about how do we go from a city to people and a church and of the redeemed. But we must abide by what God has revealed to us. Now, the first thing that is pointed out to us about the city here is its glory. And it's stated there in verses 10 and 11. And he, that is the angel, carried me away, John says, and in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. John is carried to a great and high mountain in order to see the glory of the promised land of the new earth, just as Moses was brought to the top of Mount Pisgah to see the glory of the promised land of Canaan. There's so much 
connection between the Old and the New Testament, the Old Testament and what we're studying here in the book of Revelation. And verse 10 here, the church is said to be descending out of heaven from God. You see that? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And we must stop and ask, what is being conveyed with that language? Well, number one, that the church has a heavenly origin. It comes, it comes down from above. And the reason it has a heavenly origin is that from heaven, her salvation was planned. From heaven, our Savior came. And from heaven, the Spirit was sent. The church has a heavenly origin. And again, this is why I believe in verse 10, the city that represent, re represents her is said to descend from heaven. But the church has more than her origins from God. She also reflects the glory of God. Again, in verse 11, having the glory of God. The glory the church has is the possession of likeness to Jesus Christ. Remember 1 John, or not, yeah, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, where we are told we will be like him when we see him at his second coming. <clears throat> and to be like Christ is to have the glory of God. Romans 8.29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when we fully obtain that image, we will shine with the glory of God. That this glory that will shine out of us is likened to the radiance of a brilliant, flawless jewel. The stone here that's mentioned is a jasper stone. The translation from that Greek word is a bit confusing because... Jasper is not clear, it's, it's, it's opaque, and I think a, a better image for us to be thinking about is a diamond, and how clear it is, and how it reflects light, and I think that's what is in mind here. Having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious. Now, the Bible tells us that God the Spirit is superintending in the life of every believer a process of progressive sanctification. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And it will culminate in our glorification. In the church, everyone who is a member of the church has that process going on within them by the operation of the Spirit of God. And just as Moses' face shined with the glory of God when he came down from Sinai after meeting with God, so the church will shine with the brilliance of the glory of God, just like a diamond reflects the light that is shined upon it. 
And it is the hope of obtaining this glory that is repeatedly set before us as believers. As an incentive to preserve us and to cause us to persevere in the faith. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And it is this glory that's described here in Revelation 21, 11, that Paul is promising will be revealed in us. The promise there in Romans 8 is fulfilled here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 11. It is the glory of perfect conformity to the character of Jesus Christ. So as we look at the appearance of this city, the new Jerusalem, the first thing we see is the glory of the city in verses 10 and 11. But not only do we see the glory of the city, but secondly, I want you to notice with me, the wall and the gates of the city. Again, verse 12, also she had, speaking of the city, had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. We are, I think, uh, helped a great deal as we think about uh, the prophet Isaiah. He helps us here to understand the imagery of walls and how they are to be understood. What is it that provides the church with her safety and security and protection? That's the purpose of walls. Walls were construct, constructed around cities for safety and security and protection. So the question is, what is it that provides the church her safety and security and protection? Well, it is the salvation that God has given us. And I want to turn you to two passages in Isaiah. Let's turn first to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah is going to give us a prophetic declaration of the blessing and the dwelling place of the people of God in the new earth. And he says regarding the walls that surround the city in the new earth, that these walls shall be called salvation. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 26, beginning at verse 1. In that day, and that day that he's talking about is Revelation chapter 21 that we're studying tonight. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. And then we're familiar with verse 3, and this is a reminder. Uh, I was a bit taken back when I went to this 
passage and was reading verses 1 and 2 and then I read on down and I thought oh wow verse 3 he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee I don't know how many times I've quoted that verse and used that verse in counseling but I really never really understood it in the context in which it's given let me read those three verses together Verse 1, in, the day, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. We'll stop there. The wall that's mentioned there in Revelation 21, you may want to keep your finger there in Isaiah because we're going back there in a moment. But the wall around the New Jerusalem represents the salvation that the church has received. Now, Isaiah chapter 60, almost to the very end of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 60. I want to read a long portion here. Let me begin at verse 14. Also the sons of those who afflict you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despise you, despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an external excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breasts of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron, I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness now notice verse 18 that's the point of the passage or what I want to draw your attention to violence shall no longer be heard in your land neither wasting nor destruction within your borders but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise Isaiah is describing the redeemed people of God living in community on the new heaven and the new earth. That's what's being described. <clears throat> so not only does this city have a wall, the city is also, it's a square with north, south, east, and west walls. And each of these walls has three gates for a total of 12 gates. And notice with me, it doesn't tell us here in Revelation 21, but it told us in Isaiah chapter 26 that these gates, well, part of it this is told us here in Revelation, these gates are guarded by 12 angels, one of them at each gate who controls who goes in those gates. And entrance into God's city 
the church is not open to anyone who chooses to come on any terms, but you must come God's way. Those gates only admit those to whom God gives the right. But we're told there in Isaiah chapter 26 that the gates are open, left open. Why? Because salvation is free to the world. It's not just for Jews, it's for all men everywhere. You remember that Jesus said this in Luke chapter 13, verse 29, And they shall come from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And that's why we're enthusiastic in this church about missions. Because God has a people in this world. And we don't know where they are, but they're scattered throughout this world. From the east, the south, the north, and the west. From every place. And we have representation in many, many places in this world. As God is calling His elect to Himself. So, not only... A city here, but walls and gates. Again, also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates of the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And notice, again, these angels are there guarding the gates. The gates are open, but not anybody can come in, only those who have been redeemed. Because notice the last verse of chapter 21, and again, this is a section, 21 verse 9 through chapter 22 verse 5. We read this in verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it, the holy city, Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So says the Word of God. This city is a four-sided city. We know that the number four conveys the concept of the entire world. Again, four directions of the compass, the north, south, east, and west. And again, the point is that through these 12 gates, there has been abundant opportunity for the whole world to enter into the salvation that Christ has provided. The church is the new earth, and it's made up of the saved from all over the earth who come to salvation through Jesus Christ. The gates of salvation have always been open to anyone from anywhere who will enter through them on God's terms. And God's terms are faith in His Son, bowing to His Lordship. Well, we are moving through this passage, having seen the glory of the city in verse 10 and 11, and the wall and the gates of the city in verse 12 and 13. Notice thirdly with me, the foundation of the city in verse 14. It says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, 
and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And just as the Old Testament Israel was the means through which God brought salvation to the church, the New Testament apostles were the means through which God provided the doctrinal foundation for the church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, what Paul tells the church there. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The apostles. We are indebted to the, the apostles because they gave us the New Testament, which establishes the doctrinal foundation of the church by setting and preserving the record of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. What else did the apostles do? Well, they spread the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. They carried the gospel to the Gentiles. And the apostles made the gospel a worldwide religion for all peoples no matter where they lived. So the fact that the names of the twelve tribes of Israel are on the gates, we're told that in verse uh, 12, and the fact that the names of the twelve apostles are on the foundation stones conveys a truth to us. And what is that truth? It is that the Old Testament and the New Testament people are all one people. God has one church made up of all the saints of all the ages, one church. That's good news, isn't it? One unified body made up of Old Testament saints and New Covenant saints. This city, again, that Abraham was seeking and waiting upon, looking for that city whose maker and builder is God, is the redeemed church that will exist in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, the new church that is set before us, the holy city, as much as we might love this, the holy city of Jerusalem, that physical capital in Israel, the Bible draws our attention tonight to this holy city. And it is the people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the redeemed, the bride of the Lamb. And we need to, to give attention to that and understand that better than perhaps we have. The new earth that we're longing for that God is going to bring to pass 
in his own time is the actual promised land of which Canaan was a foreshadow. And the new Jerusalem is the actual city of God of which old Jerusalem was only a foreshadow. The new Jerusalem in the new earth is where the Christian society will finally be realized. They will be utopia. Righteousness will cover the land as the waters cover the sea. You will want to live there. <laughs> you will want to live there. It will be beyond our wildest imagination. This then is the appearance of the city. Its glory, its walls, its gates, and its foundation. And when we come together again, we'll take up beginning at verse 15, its measurements. And we'll try to understand what is being communicated with that. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who keeps your covenant with your people. We thank you for the plan you have for your church. And Lord, we thank you that we are made up of this company this new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ. We ask our God that you will help us to understand better what it is you're doing in this world, what you are purposing to do in our hearts and lives, that when you are at work in us, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure, you are indeed working to translate us from one degree of glory to the next, to prepare us for heavenly habitation. Lord, your plan is marvelous. Your ways are beyond our understanding, but we thank you for what you have revealed here in our study of the book of Revelation. Deepen our appreciation for what we have in our blessed Lord. Increase our hope in that which yet awaits us and keep us faithful until that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.